Hello, and welcome to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. We believe all women lawyers deserve to be wealthy women lawyers. Our mission is to provide thought-provoking, powerful, and practical information to help you in creating your own sustainable, wealth-generating law firm without overwork or overwhelm so you can live your best life. I'm your host, Davina Frederick, and I'm so excited for you to meet our guest today. So let's get started. Alexander Davis is a North Carolina litigation attorney and founder of Davis Legal Media. Davis Legal Media provides attorney-written content for lawyers and law firms in need of high-quality, ghost-written, thought leadership pieces, whether that's a blog, website content, or bylined articles. Alexander has a BA in English from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, where she served as the editor-in-chief of the Carolina Review. And she's a graduate of Campbell Law School, where she served on the board of editors of Campbell Law's Law Review. She's written for publications like National Jurist, Lawyerist, the ABA Journal, Legal Tech News, Above the Law, Legal Business World, ACC Docket, uh, and Attorney at Work, and many more. So welcome, Alexander. We're so happy to have you here as a guest today on the Wealth Women Lawyer Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Davina. I'm a big fan of the podcast, and I'm really oh. excited to be here. Oh, yay. Wonderful. I'm glad I've got you and my mother, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it's a lot more than that. But yeah. uh, thank you. Thank you. So, I'm, no, I'm really glad that you're here because this is a need that a lot of attorneys have is help. And we're, we're in such a content marketing driven world right now when it comes to marketing your law firm business. And producing all that content can feel like a part-time job on top of their already full-time job. And so this, your company helps to bridge that gap, right? That's correct. I like to think of us as closing the gap between attorneys' ideas and an actual written work product that goes out to the world. So I think that so many times we have the best of intentions of creating some content, sharing our thoughts, demonstrating our authority, but in the realities of day-to-day practice, it just often doesn't happen, you know, for good reason, because of billable hour requirements and just the demands of client work. So I see us as kind of that third-party um, arm of um, law firm marketing departments where we help attorneys actually get their content out into the world. That's wonderful. All right. So I want to, I want to delve into that a lot more. Um, but before we do that, I want people to get to know a little bit more about you and your journey to becoming attorney and then uh, being a litigator and then founding Davis Legal Media. So let's start with uh, just giving us an idea of, did you always know you wanted to be an attorney or was that something that evolved for you? So I think a lot of people can probably relate to my story in that I always knew I wanted to go to law school, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't necessarily sold on the idea of being a practicing attorney. I knew that I was very interested in the law in theory. I was always very into school. I love to learn. I love to write. I think a lot of people who know me would say I like to argue. So it seemed that law school was the natural choice. But I kind of barreled into head, into into law school headlong without really thinking about what I wanted to do afterwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, thankfully, it worked. It worked out. You know, it worked out. I uh, had a great time in law school. I really enjoyed it. Really threw myself into it. And um, sort of side note, I met my husband there, so I like to say that that was a, a surprising little benefit I got from law school. Uh, you know, right. some lifelong friends. So it was it was a wonderful experience. But I graduated and thought, oh man, I'm just, I'm not really sure what I want to do. 
So I went to a boutique litigation firm here in Raleigh, North Carolina. I did primarily fiduciary litigation, plaintiff's personal injury work, and some um, corporate litigation. And it was great. I mean, I learned a lot. Really, I think it changed me in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Developed a thick skin. And because it was a small law firm, I really got to see sort of an insider's view of how a small, a successful uh, small business operates. And the attorneys there really brought me into the process, into their sort of business development plans and their marketing plans. And it was just incredible to to see and to witness. So I started to learn that maybe I was interested in somehow fusing my legal training with more of a mm-hmm. business development, marketing strategy approach. But I just, it was kind of a miasma at this point. I just didn't really know what it meant or where to take it. And then sometime in the middle of 2017, the partners had me working on their content. They said, you know, do some blog posts, some articles, um, you know, get us featured in, in different um, outlets, work on, you know, our website needs to be re- rewritten, can you do some copywriting? So I got to experience that and really see that not only is there value in that, but there's actually a need for that. I mean, I learned it firsthand. I was trying to get all this work done while keeping up with my cases, and it was just very difficult. So that sort of led me down this rabbit trail of saying, is this actually something that attorneys need? Is this actually a thing that people do? And then I discovered this whole body, of, this whole sort of sub-industry of content writing, copywriting, um, and ghostwriting for different industries, of which the law was one. And I thought, you know, a lot of people trying to do this aren't attorneys. I am one. I have a writing background. I wonder if this is something that might have some legs. So right. long Long story made very short, there were a lot of steps in between this, but in early 2018, that was when I broke away from my firm, and with their tremendous support, they were actually my first client, which was pretty neat, but I sort of hung my shingle and started trying it, and when I saw that there actually was demand in the market, I just sort of it refined the service offerings from there, so, so now we have a small but growing team, and we offer ghostwritten thought leadership for lawyers. And we're actually about to launch a series of content strategy packages for small firm attorneys who aren't really sure how to get started creating content, how to build their platform, where they should be showing up, who they should be talking to. We're going to kind of have some done-for-you packages that they can purchase. So that's actually launching this summer. So that's an exciting new well, that's very exciting. that my team's working on. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So, so yeah. there's some um, exciting things to come. So let's talk about this issue of creating content and maybe some of the um, questions that attorneys would have, uh, women law firm owners would have uh, regarding hiring somebody to do writing for them and helping them to get the word out about their business. I know one of the concerns that I hear often when I'm working with my coaching clients is, gosh, am I going to find, am I going to be able to hire somebody who, first of all, can understands my area of law and can write about it, right? By the time I explain it to a writer, I might as well just write it myself. That's something I hear often. What what has been your experience with that and what is it you guys do differently to sort of handle that? That's a fantastic question. A lot of people ask me that. So it's no secret that I have not practiced in every area of the law. So that's definitely true that I don't know every area of the law. A couple of responses though. One is that the benefit of at least being in the same industry, being a lawyer, having had practice experience, we're at least a little bit conversant in the same language. You know, we, mm-hmm. I understand, I, I also understand a lot of the ethical 
um, rules that sort of constrict lawyers' conduct online. So that right there is immensely helpful because if you just hire a content a content writer who does not have a legal background, there's a whole lot there that they just don't know because they haven't been immersed in the industry. So having an attorney who speaks the same language, understands the same sort of um, ethical obligations, the same sort of need to, to exude a certain professionalism, um, that is extremely helpful. I will say on my team, I do, all of our writers are attorneys with practice experience, and I do um, hire a variety, people with a variety of backgrounds. So I do sort of deploy different writers based on different client projects. So for instance, if I have a divorce law firm, um, I will deploy a divorce attorney who is a writer to take on those assignments. So that certainly helps. And then the sort of third thing, the sort of third response I have is the great thing about hiring a ghostwriter and developing a long-term relationship with an attorney ghostwriter as opposed to just outsourcing to a content company mm-hmm. or sort of like a, a mill that just pushes out content, which is fine. I'm not knocking that. There's, there's absolutely a place for that. But where we sort of stand out is we work together in a, in a collaborative relationship. So you know, I get to know my clients, I get to understand their voice, I understand their goals, and I immerse myself in their practice areas. And yes, there is, you're absolutely right, there is a bit of a learning curve there in the beginning, but the longer we work together, the more I get to know their their practice and their industry niche, you know, the more second nature it becomes. So I have clients um, that I've worked with for three years now, and at first, yes, we were on the phone a lot, um, but when you're thinking about the ROI, it's a long game. So now I can work on these articles with very little guidance. So, and my team, you know, can pitch in as needed. So, so that relationship aspect, that sort of heavy involvement with your ghostwriter is extremely helpful. Right, right. Um, I would say the same thing about voice. Do you have people ask you, well, how are you going to be able to capture my voice? That people want to hear from me. And are they going to read what somebody else has written for me and think, oh, this doesn't even sound like her? Have you, have you addre- had to address that with clients? Absolutely, all the time, especially when it comes to website copy. That mm-hmm. is where it really comes through, is in website copy. And mm-hmm. it, is, it is absolutely a skill. It, it's something that you know, I've, I've learned and practiced over the years. But I have a questionnaire that I send out to my clients for for larger projects like website copywriting that they answer. And we get very, very specific and very, very granular. I mean, I want to know things like, you know, what kind of coffee are you drinking? What do you do in your spare time? Tell me about your family. Mm -hmm. So I really try to get to know the person and get into their heads. And honestly, when you're talking about voice, everyone has a voice sort of generally speaking, but then there are different nuances of that, right, that you would present or tone down uh, depending on your audience. So there are sort of layers of nuance there. If you're writing website copy for an attorney that handles a a more consumer-facing practice like real estate closings, you know, you might adopt a different voice than you would if you are a boutique, um, at a boutique firm and you're representing very sophisticated you know, Fortune 100 um, business clients, you know, and it's more of a B2B business. You know, you're not going to adopt that, hey, I'm your best friend sitting on the front porch drinking sweet tea tone. So it, it, it really takes a lot of upfront work and a lot of upfront effort. And we really try to um, make that a part of our process when we're working mm-hmm. with a new client. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you get pushback from attorneys on 
sort of the amount of time that it takes to, if they, when they start to think about using bright, written content as their uh, vehicle for, for increasing their credibility and authority and, and getting more visibility and exposure, that they worry that it's going to take too much time to go through and sort of plan out all this content and, you know, and then go back and forth with a writer and all that kind of stuff. What, what's, what sort of uh, feedback are you hearing from them and how do you address that? That's a great question. Honestly, Davina, I don't because I find that the people who, who hire my business, they're bought in. You know, they, they believe in this, the value of this work. And mm-hmm. I, have not, I have not faced a lot of pushback. Typically, the people I work with, they are very enthusiastic. Um, they are very interested in a back-and-forth relationship, in a collaborative relationship. So I have not experienced that. Um, I have experienced, you know, situations where, you know, understandably, uh, life will get busy, practice will get busy, maybe somebody has to pull back for a while. Mm-hmm. That is absolutely fine. You know, that's something, you know, I don't, I don't like to lock people into contracts where they're, you know, paying a retainer and they're paying even if there's no work produced. I mean, I like to absolutely be flexible. We do tend to do a lot of advanced planning when it comes to content. So at any given time, if I'm working with a firm or an attorney, we'll have three or four different article ideas brewing. So that way, if they are in trial or they need to sort of duck out for a while, you know, I will have a critical mass of work I can do in the meantime. So I could be doing the research, the outlining, and then when they have time to reconnect, we do. So fortunately, I've had a lot of success working with attorneys, um, you know, just sticking to plan. And I also find that creating a content calendar immensely helps because we can plan ahead and we can say, okay, in June, we have X, Y, and Z coming down the pipeline. Here's what we need to do now to prepare. So that kind of planning and close communication with flexibility is Right. Absolutely right. helpful. Yeah. Right. So what? Let's talk about the different types of content that you guys can um, help your clients create. Absolutely. So the business is actually about to go through a little bit of a rebrand. So I'm going to talk about it in those terms. So mm-hmm. essentially, Davis Legal Media is sort of the the high quality, high highly customized, bespoke sort of ghost written content. And for that, it's um, four main types of content. There are books. So I'm actually working with an attorney right now on a memoir. So mm-hmm. we will do, so I will do that. And that involves, you know, heavy involvement from me, sort of that one-on-one um, contact. So books, ghost-written transcripts for speeches and presentations, professional biographies, whether for a LinkedIn profile, for a, um, a presentation at, you know, a, a, an event or panel, or for a law firm website. And then finally, long-form bylined articles on sort of niche uh, areas within the law. So emerging practice areas, you know, we're talking about the 2,000, 2,500 word article for a trade journal or publication on um, some pretty niche legal topics. So that's the Davis Legal Media side. The brand that's launching this summer is going to be called Deus Thought Leadership. So a dais, you know, is a platform on which you stand to promulgate a message. So the, the mission of this brand within Davis Legal Media is to help attorneys create their platforms to amplify their voices and their authority. And that is going to be a series of, as I said before, content and strategy packages. So attorneys who know they need to have a presence online but aren't really sure where to start can simply read about our different package offerings and select the one that fits their needs. And then our team will implement it. And those packages are essentially 
building your website, building your platform, which is a mix of strategy, a detailed content strategy plan that we give you to keep, some social media platform setup and content creation and a content calendar. And then the third is build your resource bank, where we basically set people up with high quality blog content, article content, social media posts, ebook content, white papers, and they are free to implement it how they want. So my goal for that is essentially to roll the strategy and the content and the impl in the um, implementation into packages. Mm. Because one so one one thing I found, Davina, is that a lot of attorneys, some attorneys know exactly what they want. They say, I want to write this memoir. I want to write this article. You know, I've got a speech coming up. I need a bio. I need you to help me. I can do that. Others come to me, mainly solo and small firm attorneys. They say, look, I know I need to be doing this, but I don't even know where to start. Like, should I be on LinkedIn? Should I be on Facebook? Should I blog? I don't know. So that's why we devised the sub brand where attorneys can simply say, this sounds like the sort of package that I need. They purchase it and my team. It's, it's done for you. So that that's an exciting new development that I hope really helps some people. Talk to me about the difference between sort of writing for these different content platforms versus, you know, writing briefs or writing academic articles or, or, or whatever. Like, talk about the difference in them because I think a lot of times when you have attorneys attempting, you know, starting out at the beginning, maybe creating their own content, that... Mm -hmm. They may not choose the right style of writing for the platform. What kind of work do you do with clients to sort of make sure that you're on that same page? Writing for a blog, writing a, an article is not the same as writing a brief. There are similarities. It's not a free-for-all. It's not a stream of consciousness. It's still, you know, a lot of people think blog writing is, you know, you let go of any all, in all conventions and just sort of, you know, spill your brain on paper. That's not true at all. But there's still a very good, you know, you still have to follow a certain structure. Um, I help clients with that by providing sort of a te general template, you know, sort of here's kind of your introduction and how you want to style that. Here's sort of how you want to arrange your headers. Here's, you know, the thesis that you should make sure is woven throughout the article. Mm -hmm. But really the style, one of my colleagues said this, I'm not going to take credit for it, but I think it's perfect, is polished informality. So if you think about, you know, the brief as being the, the suit, you know, three-piece suit that's really buttoned up and crisp and pressed and you've got a tie on. And think of the, the blog post as you start to loosen the tie, maybe unbutton the jacket, you're, you're kicked back a little bit. It's a little more approachable, but still very put together. Right. How do people get started? Like, what's the process like to start working with you? Because I imagine that a lot of times with, when people are faced with kind of this idea they've been working with their coach and they're like you need to start creating content and they're going oh gosh I don't know where to start and so they if they uh, hire a writer what process do you go through with them to help them um, to help make sure that you really understand their brand and who their ideal clients are so that you're helping them make the right choices for the platforms that they you know where they want to write and the type of writing they need the content. Absolutely. I think in kind of entrepreneur, entrepreneurial circles, it's people call it discovery, you know, mm -hmm. which I don't use that term with lawyers because they hear discovery and they think of discovery, you know, in the, in the literature right, process. Right. Similar, you know, in the sense that you're just gathering information. But it'll be essentially the same for the Davis Legal Media ghostwriting side and then the Davis uh, package, you know, 
uh, content packages side in that it starts with discovery, it starts with information gathering, it starts with, again, that questionnaire. Depending on the client, sometimes if it's one person and we're just going to write an article a month for a trade journal, you know, I'll dispense with the written questionnaire and we'll just have a long conversation. There's a call, it's usually close to an hour, and I ask them a lot of questions about their practice and their goals and their experience and their clients and their audience and their, where they want to, who they want to be speaking to, where they want to end up in their career. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes if it's a firm and they want, you know, a lot of content, you know, multiple articles mm -hmm. per month, I'll send them a questionnaire so we have something written that my team can refer to. And it'll right. be essentially all the same questions. So it's really just a lot of legwork up front. Mm -hmm. That may sound intimidating to somebody who's wanting to hire you. A lot of legwork up front. Is that, I'm assuming you have it in such a way that, you know, it makes it easy for the clients. Legwork for us, not for the client. You know, think of us as sort of taking the client by the hand yeah. and walking them through the process. They just need to show up. And um, so it's, it's the legwork for us. You know, we, I, wanted, I wanted to make that clear so that if somebody was listening, yeah, they were like, you. oh, yeah, that's just like a lot of legwork. Um, but I want to shift gears a little bit, and I want to talk about your experience um, as a woman attorney sure. shifting gears and starting a business that is not traditional, you know, lawyering, and what that was like for you and kind of what went into that, what went into that decision for you and the challenges that you faced in dealing with that sort of maybe emotion of, you know, I went to law school and I got this degree and I should be an attorney and people are expecting me to be an attorney and people say, well, why are you not, why do you not have a law firm that you're practicing in or whatever? Do you get that from people? What has your experience been like? I, you know, it's interesting because I didn't as much as I thought I would. I think a lot of what I got was, wow, that's really interesting. That's an interesting way to use your degree. I got a lot of people who are just very curious. Mm -hmm. And that was very exciting because I always knew that I wanted to do something a little bit entrepreneurial. Um, I always knew I wanted to somehow use my writing, but I also wanted to include my my legal training. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's true that I'm not practicing. I do keep my bar license active mm -hmm. because I do feel like I worked so hard for it. And what if, you know, if a family friend at some point needs advice or need something or I want to pick up, you know, some pro bono work. I think it's important to keep that going. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that I did face that's so interesting, I wonder if other women attorneys can relate, is when I did start my business, I had a couple people, um, I was in my late 20s, I hadn't had any children yet. Uh, I was married, but I had a lot of people assume, oh, are you doing this because you want to become more flexible for when you have kids? And the answer is no. That, that wasn't at all on my mind. Um, it has had a nice double effect that it has been that way. I, I have a, a child now. I'm actually expecting a second. So that is, that is nice. But it's interesting that people automatically made that assumption that because I'm a woman and I was starting my own business and leaving traditional practice, that that was my only possible motivation. So that is very interesting. Yeah. Isn't that? Isn't that? And at first it kind of insulted me a little bit. I was like, no, I actually really... I'm excited about this industry niche and to build this business. And, you know, when the business started to grow, it was just very exciting. And I had a lot of people, even now that I have children, people make a lot of assumptions about, oh, so you basically just don't work. You just right, kind of have this right. side thing. It's like, no, no, this is actually a six-figure business, people, you know. And, Not um, a side hustle. <laughs> it's not. And 
was, that'd be absolutely fine. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that and with that past, and I think that's wonderful too. I think that just reveals a lot about our society, about right. how people perceive women in, in law, and if you're not doing something traditional, is it really a legitimate career path? So I do think that there's a lot of work we need to do as a society to sort of accept that there's so many different ways to work, build a business, build wealth, build build a niche, develop a niche. So yeah. that's something that I would want to encourage anybody listening that if they're doing something non-traditional or they want to, you know, don't don't worry about how it's perceived. I think most people, if they say something that comes off like it could potentially be critical, they might just be interested or curious. Maybe they're a little bit envious because they think, wow, that's really neat that you you made that bold move. You know, I, I wish I could do that or I wish I yeah. had the, the chutzpah <laughs> to do that or you know, <laughs> things, things like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually had that experience in, in, you know, moving into developing, being a law firm growth strategist and coaching and consulting around that. Um, people were, I thought you were going to be a lawyer. And I'm like, well, I have been a lawyer. I was, I did that. <laughs> and now I'm doing this for a while and yay, it's fun. Like I still get to use my skills, my, my lawyer, I can still have my lawyer hat on while I'm doing this. Yes. And, and I'm bringing exactly. in also the journalism degree and the marketing experience that I've had and all those things. So it's really nice to be able to bring in all these different elements of you and, and, yes. and, you know, create something and be a creator. You know, that's where the fun is. Exactly. Right. So, so tell me about was your vision from the beginning to hire a team and how quickly did you move toward hiring a team? It was, it was, I always knew that I wanted to build a team so I, it took me about a year. So actually, let, let me share this part of my story because I think this will be really encouraging. I didn't just go from quitting my job to doing this business and doing well. It took a while. So what I actually did was I did um, doc review um, on the side um, full-time for a couple months and then part-time for almost a year uh, or for about 10 months. And that gave us the side sort of income. Um, while I was working on the business. So I want to share that part of the story because I think that's really important. I don't want people, to, you know, a lot of people think, oh, I can't, you know, quit my job and start a business and not have an income. Yeah, a lot of people can't, you know. So right. the doc review kind of was my avenue. I had to leave the firm because I couldn't say, hey, I'm going to, you know, basically help other firms market their services while I'm working for you, <laughs> you know. Right. So, so, yeah, so that year, so 2018 was essentially building the business, doing the doc review on the side, and then early 2019 was, okay, I've hit my revenue goal, that would allow me to do this full time and focus. So 2019, first half was me figuring that out. And then I hired um, two part-time um, contract writers, in one in, in mid-2019, one in late 2019. 2020, we kind of just maintained um, mm -hmm. just the three of us. And then this past year, I hired a client account manager, a couple other uh, freelance attorney writers, and I'm actually um, bringing in some help on my digital marketing efforts, and I am currently on the hunt for an editor and content manager. So just a little plug out there for anyone who might be interested. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So to, not, to, not to use your podcast as an avenue for that, but you know, to answer your question, it, it took, I, I spend a lot of time mapping out um, my vision for the team and coming up with sort of my ideal structure and honestly, I do think that in some ways you have to make the hire before you feel like you're absolutely ready because you don't want to get in a position where 
you don't have the labor, you don't have the, the well, that sounds so dehumanizing, but you don't have the people in place, you know, to, to do the work, but then you pick up a huge new account and you're just sort of bailing your boat, bailing the water out of your boat, and you're like, shoot, I really don't want to say no to this new opportunity, but my gosh, I can't handle this. So I actually recently made the decision to really invest in the business um, and to go ahead and get that structure in place. So everyone takes a different approach, but, but that was mine. You know, get, yeah. get your structure in place while you build your business, and then you have partners alongside you as you you build your brand and that's just so much more fun than going at it alone in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Have you had challenges with um, hiring people, hiring writers that maybe, you know, weren't up to the standard of excellence that you require or maybe they just didn't get it or, you know, whatever. Have you had any of those issues or has it been kind of smooth sailing all along? Yes. No. Yeah. Davina, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to find someone who, is a lawyer who has the time, who has the interest, who, who has that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, so, so yes, unfortunately I have had that happen. And, um, <laughs> you know, when it does happen, it just, you just have to be great. You know, just handle it as graciously as you possibly can. Yeah. I, I, um, the reason I ask that is because, uh, well, yeah. a couple of reasons. One is that I, I know with um, women law firm owners, one of the challenges that, one of the biggest challenges that many have is, um, they want to expand and they want to hire a team and they want to increase their capacity, but, you know, they hire people and then they turn out not to be what they appear to be and they get disappointed. And then they're like, well, there's nobody out here and I can't find anybody. And, uh, and then I also know that when it comes mm -hmm. to writers, I worked with, you know, I'm a copywriter and I've worked with many, many writers over the years. And there are some that you're, you know, you hired, you're like, dang, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not going to work, right? And uh, so I know how frustrating that can be. So I was just wondering, if one of the things that I find encouraging is that you, and I'm always encouraging my clients to just keep at it. Like if you have somebody and they turn out to be yes. a dud, throw them back, put the ad out yeah. there and get another one. Like, you know, you just have to sort of keep at it because you've assembled quite a significant size team. And so I was wondering if you had had, some of those experiences where you're like, eh, that didn't work. I've got to go back to the drawing board. And how did you handle sort of the emotional uh, feeling of disappointment and letdown? Yeah, you know, it's so interesting, Davina, because I'm, I'm learning this right now. You know, the, the only advice I can share is coming from a place of I am a student of this and I, this is so new to me. Um, one thing that has helped is all of my people are, are part-time. They're all very part-time and engaged as 1099 contractors rather than employees, so I will say that that gives you a little bit more freedom and flexibility to feel each other out, you know, sort of see if you, not only if they're good and the work quality is good, but if they get what you're going for, you know, you're, as the kids these days say, like, do they get your vibe, <laughs> you know, do they, are they bought into what you're doing, do you work well together, I mean, I've had experiences where you know, I recently um, put out a notice for, for a writer and had people apply. What I did was I had them do a sample assignment. I considered it an audition. So mm. I would have, the, I would send them one assignment. It was a real assignment for, a, for an actual client. Mm -hmm. And that to me was much more helpful than just looking at their writing samples because I got to see how they actually work with me. Mm. And that was very valuable because I had a few people whose writing was good, but they were not responsive. Maybe they were 
um, we just personality-wise did not click. Maybe they would right. go MIA for many, many days. Maybe they were rude, you know. I mean, thankfully, I yeah. didn't feel too much of that, but there were definitely, you know, that could have been a really bad thing if you just pick someone up as a as an employee. So doing this sort of, um, the audition assignments was helpful, but also the sort of starting out slowly as a, a, a um, part-time freelance position gives you a lot of freedom and flexibility to simply say, you know, at this at this juncture, you know, we don't need your services right now. And because these people have other jobs, it's not like they're not going to feed their family that week because of you. <laughs> so Right, right. So it's a little <laughs> less at stake. But you're, you know, also you mentioned with, with writers, you know, a lot of times good writing of sam when you see samples, good writing can be good editors, you know. Um, so giving, testing that is, is a good way to do it. And it probably is an added benefit when somebody's working with an agency like yours because you're doing all that for them. So they're not having to go out on a site like Upwork or Fiverr and hire a writer and then do this vetting process themselves. You, you're going through and you're doing this for them. So this is probably one of the advantages of working with an agency like yours. You talk a lot about ROI and I'd love it if you'd share kind of your thoughts on why, why do you talk about ROI when it comes to hiring professional legal writers to help you develop content? Absolutely, it matters. That's the only reason you do anything in your in your in your practice, or that's why you that's the only reason why you do anything marketing related is because you want more clients. You know, I I actually stopped asking clients this question in the initial questionnaire. One of my questions was, "What is what are your goals?" And everyone's goal was get more clients. So I finally stopped asking because I realized, well, yeah, of course, that's everyone's, that's everyone's goal. Get, you know, get more clients and make more money, build your practice. So I talk, I, I really beat the ROI drum because a lot of attorneys, they get a little bit spooked by the sort of um, sometimes, you know, ghostwriting, third-party content writing. It seems a little bit, a little bit fluffy or they uh -huh. think, you know, I don't I don't see I don't see the immediate ROI of publishing an article because what are the chances some huge client is going to stumble upon it and then immediately hire me. Well, yeah, I mean it, it typically doesn't work that way. Very few things do work that way. Mm -hmm. So but it, it all matters because it's all a part of that platform building. And when I say platform building, it's really just creating a presence, um, creating a professional pre authoritative presence. Um, and whether you do that online through your digital marketing, whether you do a lot of speaking engagements, whether you attend a lot of conferences, everything you do as a professional in your professional capacity is putting your name out there, making yourself known, making yourself searchable, showing up where people are looking for you. And that all contributes to building that sort of social trust that's necessary for someone to make a hire. Mm -hmm. So. I kind of liken it to, you know, an exercise or, you know, fitness plan. If you have a goal of, say, getting to a certain weight, you know, you're not going to immediately, you know, you're not going to eat an apple instead of a, you know, I don't know, bacon cheeseburger and then step on a scale and see it go down 10 pounds, you know, but every, every step you take, every um, nutritional decision you make, every you know, workout you do, every, you know, step you log in your your Fitbit, that all goes toward your overarching goal. So I think of ROI as a very, it's a long game. It takes a lot of effort. Mm -hmm. And 
fortunately with um, companies like mine and you know digital marketing agencies and there's so many resources resources out there for lawyers to help them accomplish this that they don't have to do it on their own mm -hmm. right right so one of the things yeah. I think is um, you have some some interesting stats on your website and one of the things that mm -hmm. uh, you, you mentioned is that brands who utilize content marketing achieve more than five times the conversion rates of those who don't yeah and Content marketing costs about 62% less than outbound marketing and generates three times more leads. What do you mean by outbound marketing? So, you know, more, more of what you think of as traditional marketing ads, commercials, okay. mm -hmm. um, Google, Google um, ad campaigns, um, billboards, mm -hmm. paid, paid media, you know, um, even, yeah. even pay to play, pay to play um, situations where you're, you're paying to, to have yourself featured. So, Inbound marketing is that sort of relationship-focused marketing where you are showing up and offering value, and mm -hmm. in turn, you are developing a relationship with your audience. So mm -hmm. it's sort of like a way, you know, people talk about it in sort of the inbound marketing world as making touches. You have to make several touches with people before you develop the trust that they will actually opt into your email list, reach out to you, ultimately hire you. So, yeah, you're absolutely right about those stats. And there's another stat, I can't remember if I have this on the website or not, um, but it actually is a double-edged sword because a lot of uh, decision makers within businesses will actually not go with a certain organization, hire a certain professional because of their, mark, their uh, thought leadership. So if it's bad, it can actually really hurt you. That's why it matters so much to have it be good. So if you don't mm -hmm. think that you're in a position to create good thought leadership, maybe just sort of hit pause for a while and figure out, well, what, what can I be doing? Um, you know, instead, because it can, it can hurt you as much as it can help you, unfortunately. Right, right. So we're talking about the term thought leadership, and you and I both are very comfortable with that term and, and familiar with it, but other people yeah. may not. So let's talk about what thought leadership, because I can, I can imagine some people listening to this and thinking, uh, what thoughts? You know, like, <laughs> like, am I a thought? Do I have leading yeah. thoughts? Do I have leading edge thoughts? And you know, there is a lot of fear sometimes among attorneys. I know this, I, this comes up often when I'm talking with people about creating video content and they worry that I'm going to put this content out there and other particularly colleagues are going to look at it and they're going to go, well, you know, that's not, that's not the full explanation or that's not, you know, and so attorneys have a tendency to want to give the, give everything and say, well, you know, like, so here's the rule and here are the exceptions to the rule and here are the exceptions to the exceptions. And then, they're like, who's going to listen to a video like this? And right. so when we talk about thought leadership, um, let's kind of get, put a framework around that so people can understand what that means. It's not just sitting here, you know, educating people on the law in your practice area, right. whatever, having a point of view, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's not the art kind of armchair philosopher idea. <laughs> um, so one thing that I think can help explain it is that it's not the same as content marketing. If you see an article that's titled, what, what should I do if I get involved in a T-bone accident in San Antonio? <laughs> you know, that's, right. that's, not thought, that's not thought leadership. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. It's content marketing. We do some of that too. That's great. Thought leadership, and this is going to sound very rudimentary, so just bear with me, but you break it down into its two parts. First, it has to be thoughtful. If it's just conveying information, if it's just conveying the rule of law, that's helpful. It's not necessarily thoughtful. Um, second, it has to lead. 
is it leading the conversation in a different direction? So, for example, an article that might fall into the realm of thought leadership as opposed to content marketing would be, I just worked on an article with a client, it's should athletes, should college athletes be classified as employees so they can get paid and get certain protections. So that is thoughtful because a lot of people haven't thought about this. A lot of them have. A lot of people have strong opinions. And it's leading because she presented, she didn't necessarily choose a position, but she presented the issues in a way to, to sort of say like, look, we really need to think about this because look at the implications of X, Y, and Z. And, you know, if they aren't classified as employees, they don't get these protections. What could that mean? And here's an example of something that happened, terrible that happened to somebody because of X. But then on the other hand, think about why, you know. So that that is thought leadership. It's, it is not just conveying information. It is presenting a different take on an issue. And it may not even be, it may not even really involve the black letter law. Mm-hmm. It, it might even be something a lot of lawyers are breaking into the wellness space. They're breaking into the mindfulness space. They're sharing more of themselves and mm-hmm. their wisdom and their knowledge. Some of them are getting more political. I think that that's fine. I had a professor in law school tell us one day, and I'll never forget this. He said, you know, you guys, he silenced the room. It was amazing. He said, people are going to be looking to you for your opinions and not just on the law, rarely on the law, actually. They're going to want to know what you think about what's going on in the world. They're going to they're going to look to you as an example of how a professional should live. So I was going to just say it's really the leadership, you know, that thought leadership, yes. the leadership part of it, of of being stepping up and starting a conversation about something you think is important to talk about. Yeah. Right. Yeah, precisely. You hit the nail on the head. And it doesn't all just have to be what happens if I get in a car accident. You know, what should I do after I get, you know, it, it can be. Anything. I think you do this so well, Davina. I mean, people just need to go vo- follow all your accounts. And follow, <laughs> I'm, Thank you for that. Follow your Instagram. See that, you know, see, there's so many great examples of this out in, in the world. And lawyers do feel a lot of fear. I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that about sharing themselves. But, you know, uh, as one of my colleagues says, um, you know, you've got to get over it. <laughs> you've yeah. got to get yeah. over it. You've got to do it. Who cares? what people think, just be professional, obviously, don't go running afoul of the ethical. Right, exactly, we cover ethical <laughs> obligations and things like that. Yeah, uh, yeah. and yeah. you know, a lot of people have, it's, it's really interesting because uh, it has been taboo in the past to discuss politics, sex, religion, money. I mean, there are certain things that are taboo to discuss, and now we're in an age, I think, where we're having a lot more open discussions about a lot of different topics, and so I often get challenged, not not challenged, but uh, I discuss politics, you know, in my personal social media and things like that. I don't, I don't really bring it up in the, in business, but I think my viewpoints show up in the way that I work. Um, and mm-hmm. some people will say, gosh, you know, I want to, I got to be careful about that because, you know, some clients may be different political leanings or whatever. And I think everybody's got to make that decision for themselves. My thought on it is, is this is, you know, I'm, these a lot of things I believe are sort of deal breakers for me. So, mm-hmm. if, you know, if, in terms of race, in terms of uh, gender, in terms of in treating marginalized groups, you know, in certain ways. And I'm so I draw, I have a really strong point of view about that and a strong stand on that. And, sure. um, and it's important enough for me to not worry that if 
somebody is repelled by what I'm saying, it's not going to hurt my feelings. Like, uh, you know, you, you, they're probably not going to be an ideal client for me. And I'm okay with that because I know right. there are a lot of people out there that's going to resonate with. Um, and I know with the, a lot of attorneys, you know, they feel like I need to, you know, there are certain topics I need to stay away from. You know, I, in my business, obviously I talk a lot about money and I grew up in a family where, you know, that we don't talk about money. <laughs> you know, my parents yeah. still don't want to talk, tell me, you know, exactly <laughs> what all their, you know, we're just going to be surprised when one day they pass away, which I hope will be a long time from now. But, you know, so, so there is, but I think in this day and age with social media being what it is and the way people are, it's not really about airing all of your, you know, dirty laundry or having an opinion about everything out there, but it's really about thinking about those things that are, most important to you and if we're passionate about the work we're doing there's something about that work that you feel strongly about and that really is what we're talking about we're talking about thought leadership right yes absolutely because at the end of the day that's what separates you from the person down the street whose service offerings if you strip them down to their bare essentials they look they look identical you know so what what makes you different from that person and i think that the clients I've worked with who haven't been afraid to show a little bit of their authentic selves, again, in a very professional, very measured way, in the way that you're describing, have seen, um, frankly, explosive success mm-hmm. um, in, in ways that actually are inspiring me to, to, do, to do the same. I think I have the lawyer tendency to clam up a little bit. And um, yeah. So, yeah, I think I, I don't have much to add to what you said. I think that just absolutely that resonates so much. Oh, well, great. I thank you. I appreciate that. And I, and I just, you know, I just want people to start thinking about how, how the benefit of hiring someone to help you write, if it is not your, mm-hmm. if it's either not your natural forte or it's not your, you just don't have time, like you would, but you don't have time to really think through. And so having a point of view, hiring a writer, having someone that you could talk with and say, okay, this is kind of what I want to communicate and the way I want to communicate it. And this is my brand. And this is what I'm passionate about. And, you know, if you're a divorce attorney, you may be really passionate about collaborative law and not, and that families don't belong in courtrooms. Or you may be somebody who's really passionate about dads being represented because you feel like they're kind of unrepresented and treated unfairly in the courtroom or whatever, right? Your point of view, there are going to be a lot of people out there who just really resonate with that. And there are going to be people who are repelled by that. And that's okay. The clearer you are, the more, the more highly attractive you are to your ideal clients. And so oftentimes we may have these opinions and we have these thoughts. We have a hard time articulating them, writing them down on paper yes. and getting them out yes. in a way, you know, it conveys what we want in a professional way. Right. And so Absolutely. I, think, I think it's great the service you guys, you, you guys are offering to help, you know, help attorneys do that. Um, tell me where we can Thank connect you. with you and find out more about the Davis Legal Media and sort of get on your list so we're going to be the first in line to hear about your product when it rolls out in the summer. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it. So my website is davislegalmedia.com. It will be under construction in the near future, but um, in the meantime, you can stay connected by following me on Instagram at Davis Legal Media, on Twitter at Davis Legal Media, um, LinkedIn, I have a page, Davis Legal Media, or you can connect with me personally at Alexander Davis. Uh, if you jump on my website soon before it goes under construction, which will be in the next few weeks, jump on there, scroll down to the bottom, get on, uh, join my newsletter, because that is something that I send out regularly 
that's when you'll hear about the launch of Deus, you know, our content packages. That's when you'll see when um, new content goes up on our blog. That's when you hear about new developments, and you can get to know me a little bit. Um, just hit reply to the email, and it'll make its way over to me, and I always respond. I do. I love when I hear from people, so, so please, hey. please do reach out. Great, great. Thanks so much for being here. I've had a really a good time. Uh, one writer to Thank another. You. I love having these kinds of conversations. <laughs> so that was really a pleasure to have you here, Alexander. Me too. Thanks, Davina. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the Wealthy Woman Lawyer podcast. If you have, we invite you to leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. The more five-star reviews we have, the more women law firm owners will be able to positively impact. Your thoughts and opinions are so important to us. If you are a woman law firm owner who wants to scale your law firm to a million dollars or more in gross annual revenue and do it in a way that's sustainable and feels good to you, then we invite you to join us in the Wealthy Woman Lawyer League. The League is a community of highly intelligent, goal-oriented, and driven women law firm owners who are excited to support one another on their journeys to becoming wealthy women lawyers. We'll be sharing so much in the league in the coming year, including the exclusive million dollar law firm framework that until now I've only shared with my private one-to-one clients. For more information and to join us, go now to www.wealthywomanlawyer.com slash league. That's www.wealthywomanlawyer.com slash league. League is spelled L-E-A-G-U-E. We look forward to seeing you soon in the league.